Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. If you have a Bible today, turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, we're going to be in verses uh, 8 through 10 today. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, you might have a smartphone, and I would encourage you to uh, download the YouVersion Bible app. And once you do that, at the very uh, bottom, you'll see a More tab. Click on that. Uh, you'll see Events. Just click on, one of the, click on the Events tab, and you'll see Awaken Church will be one of the many churches listed there. Just click on Awaken Church. Uh, you can follow along, take notes there, have all the verses right there in front of you as we get into it. And while we're getting settled in and all that, I I want us to be a little interactive today. I want to ask you all a question, and I'm going to have you respond here out loud in just a minute, but the question is, I want you to think about your favorite Bible reference. What is your favorite Bible verse? Think about it. Get in your head. I know we've got some people who like to be a little smart, and they're going to say, James 4, four, 8 through 10. No, we know. That's just the last thing you heard, all right? But I want to know, like, what is your favorite? Now, the last service, they were super spiritual. I heard all kinds of different verses. So you guys got a little bit more sleep, maybe a little more coffee. So uh, I expect it. So I hope you got it. I stalled for time so you can think about it. Maybe even look it up to make sure you're right, all right? What is your favorite Bible verse? Ready? One, two, three. What is it? There we go. See? It all sounded like you all were speaking in tongues, all right? So here's the interpretation. <laughs> We all like to read the Bible. We all have verses that we hold on to in different moments in our life. Not one verse stood out above the rest. Like none of us collectively just shouted John 3.16 or 1 John 1.9 or Psalm 51 or Psalm 23 or you might have shouted out one of those verses, but we all didn't just shout out to those verses. Because the reality is, while we like a lot of verses, there are certain verses that we hold on to, certain verses that mean a lot to us as we go through seasons of our life, verses that we might have tattooed on us, you know, like that because they meant a lot to us. They, they spoke to us in a season of life that we were in. In fact, today, what I want to do is I want to read you a verse out of the very first Bible that I ever read cover to cover from. Uh, I remember uh, being in high school, sophomore in, in high school, and I, I remember uh, dealing with like what James was talking about last week, where I felt like I had a foot in the world and a foot trying to follow God, and I'm walking this line of being a friend with the world, but an enemy of God, like, and, and just going, man, I want to live for God. I want my life to mean something. I know that if I give my life to the Lord, I'm going to be a part of something so much bigger than what I'm ever going to be able to do by myself. And I just remember going, man, I got to get God's word in me. I remember pulling this Bible off of my shelf, and what was really cool about this Bible, and I'm going to sound really old here, but back in my day, we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have the internet, and so uh, we, didn't, we couldn't just find Bible reading plans, we didn't have the version Bible app, but what was cool is at the back of this Bible, they had a reading plan. And so it gave me a point to start. It gave me a place to go, okay, I can read cover to cover through it. Also, what's really cool is it's got insight of like who God is, what it means to be a Christian. Um, And then even as I read in some of these verses, like it'll have like sections that it'll break down certain verses more and say, hey, this is what this means, or this is how you can apply this to your life on another level. And so this Bible meant a lot to me. But there was a verse that I read in Romans that really just stood out to me, that was impactful for me then, and it's impactful for me now. And immediately when I say Romans, a lot of us, we're already thinking of verses. You're like, okay, is it Romans 3? Is it Romans 5? Is it Romans 6? Like, what is it? Is it Romans 8, 28? You know, like what verse is it that stood the most out to you? And, and it's a verse that you might not be familiar with. It might be a verse that you are familiar with, but I want to use it as kind of our starting point for today before we jump into the book of James. And it's a, a 
verse, uh, in Romans chapter 7, and it's verse 15, it says this, I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. It said I do the very thing I hate. I know perfectly well what I'm doing wrong, and my bad conscience shows that I agree that the law is good. But I can't help myself, because it's sin inside me that makes me do these evil things. I know that I'm rotten through and through, so as far as my old sinful nature is concerned, no matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyways. But if I'm doing what I don't want to do, I'm really not the one doing it. The sin within me is doing it. Now, pause real quick right there. Paul is not trying to, who wrote this, Paul is not trying to just pass the blame. He's not trying to say, well, it's the sin's fault. That's not, he's talking about this battle going on within him. He's not trying to pass the blame here. In verse 21, he says, it seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another law at work within me that is at war with my mind. This is the law that wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? And if we were just to stop right there, we would leave all depressed because there's no hope. It's kind of feels very hopeless. But Paul says something in verse 25 that's super impactful. He says, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. I love what Paul is describing in these verses because what he's describing is this war that's going on inside himself. And the reality is we all are dealing with this war inside ourselves. Paul's like, on one side, there's God and I want to do what is right. I want to love God. I want to obey God. I want to follow God. I want to do all those things that are right. But he's like, there's another side of it though. There's my flesh side that's at war with that side. I know I shouldn't want to do that, but I want to gratify my own pleasures, my own desires, all of that stuff. But he's talking about this war that he has, that there's these two sides in conflict with each other. Now, again, I want to remind you who's writing this. It's Paul the apostle. Not Paul, some rando guy they found in the corner. Not Paul, some pastor. This is Paul the apostle, probably one of the greatest church planners uh, ever to walk the face of the earth. The guy who wrote two thirds of the New Testament. And he writes this as a mature believer in Christ. And he shows us that this struggle with our flesh, it never goes away while we are here on earth. See, Paul is in a fight for his holiness just as we are in a fight for our holiness. We all want to act and think and be more and more like Jesus. But there's a battle within us. It's real. It's intense. It's ongoing. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, you know that the struggle is real. You know that this battle with the flesh is a real thing. And the reason why I love these verses so much then and the reason why I love these verses so much now is because the enemy will use the presence of this war that Paul is talking about to make us feel like we are less than a citizen of the kingdom of God. The enemy will be like, do you know who you are? Do you see that sin? Do you see how you live? Do you see how you fell in? Do you see how you're being friendly with the world? Do you see all these things? And the enemy will use this presence of this real battle going on within us to say, hey, you're not a citizen of the kingdom of God. You're not a follower of Jesus. Who do you think you are? 
But, but what I love, what Paul is saying, what James is saying, what the whole Bible really would say is this, that it's the presence of this war. It's, the presence of this world war is an assurance that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. See, if I'm not a citizen of, of the kingdom of God, I don't struggle with any of this. There's no war going on inside of me. I can just soak up all the darkness, all the sin in my life. But because of Christ in me, it won't stay there. He won't let me stay there. And if you were with us last week, we talked about how there's this war going on inside of us, that we war with each other, we war with God. But in the midst of this war that James is talking about, we can find grace, grace that we can grab hold of, grace that can sustain you. In fact, in the Greek, we talked about it is mega grace that we can have. And today we're going to be talking about how we can have victory in the midst of this war. See, victory is not found in willpower. Victory is not found in determination. Victory is not found in your commitment. Like how many of us, we've made a commitment to do something and we, kept, we had all the best intentions with keeping that commitment, but for one reason or another, we never kept it. New Year's resolutions, right? Like statistically speaking, if you, kept an, if you made a New Year's resolution, you're not keeping it anymore. Like you've fallen off. You're eating bad food. You're not, you're not going to the gym every day, you know, like you said that you would. We can make, uh, we can do a commitment, but victory is not found in our commitment. It's not found in in self-help. Victory is not found in trying harder. Victory is found in the presence of the Lord. In fact, the title of today's message is Finding Victory in His Presence. Finding Victory in His Presence. So if you have a Bible today or your smartphone, turn to James chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 8. He says this, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy turned to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. In these verses, we can see how we can have victory in the midst of this war going on inside of us. Now, I don't want us to confuse victory with deliverance, because I think immediately when we hear a victory, we're like, oh, great, I'm going to be delivered from this. I'm not going to have to deal with this Roman 7 thing. I'm not going to have to deal with what James has been talking about in chapter 4 so far. But victory does not equal deliverance. Until Jesus comes back, we all will live in this Roman 7 reality. We will all be warring against each other. We will all be warring against God, like what James is talking about in chapter 4. Until Jesus comes back, we will not be delivered from it. But we can experience victory. These moments where we experience God's grace in the midst of this very real battle. And so out of these verses, I want to ask and answer two questions in the time that we have left about how we can find victory by drawing near to God. And the first one is this. What does it mean to draw near to God? What does it mean to draw near to God? Now, when we hear that phrase... I wonder what comes to your mind. I think for some of us, we think of it as super spiritual, right? Got to draw near to God. So that means I got to turn out all the lights, light the candles, put on some worship music, get my coffee and my Bible out. You know, you're trying to force a feeling. You're trying to force a tone, force a mood. For others of us, when we hear drawing near to God, it's terrifying. Like, whoa, I don't want to draw near to God. Like he might find out some stuff about me that I'm not really quite sure I want him to find out about. And so we hear that and it's terrifying, but guess what? Here's the good news. He already knows. He already knows how messed up and messy and sinful you are. The cross of Jesus has outed you. God already knew. That's why he had to send Jesus to come to this earth. 
He already knew those things about you. For others of us, though, it's kind of like intimidating. Like, who am I? How can I come into the presence of God? But what does this mean, to draw near to God? See, this phrase, draw near, is not a super spiritual phrase. It's a phrase borrowed during James's time, and it just meant to come near or to approach. And in the context of James writing this, he's describing someone approaching God in an act or attitude of personal worship. In fact, a Greek scholar put it this way. He said that it marks those who long to come in the closest possible relationship with God. Here's what else you need to know about this phrase. That this phrase is not a suggestion, it's a command. Meaning this, James is not just writing this saying, hey, would you prayerfully consider? Like, would you think about it? Like, when you got time, would you draw? No, he's with saying with all authority that we are commanded as followers of Jesus, as we are in the midst of this battle with our flesh, as we're battling one another, as we're battling our, uh, this desire to want to be friends with the world, that as we submit to God then we draw near to him. Now, when we hear the word command, sometimes the hair on the back of our neck stand up a little bit, right? Because when we hear command, we think of our mom or our dad calling us by our middle name, commanding us to do something that we really don't want to do. And so for a lot of us, when we hear the word command, we fight against it. But listen, commands in the Bible are a good thing. When God says, hey, don't do something, what God is saying is, hey, I don't want you to hurt yourself. See, God created the world. He created life. He knows best how life is to be lived. And so when God says, hey, don't do something, he's not trying to rob you of all the joy and the pleasure and the experience of doing that thing. He doesn't want you to hurt yourself. Parents, we know this all too well, right? If you have kids, when you tell your kids, hey, don't do something, don't go down this road, don't hang out with them, don't do these things, don't do that, don't speak this way, don't do that. Like, you're not trying to rob them of all the joy and the pleasure of doing those things. You just know better. You've lived life longer. You know that that's not good for them. And so when you say, hey, don't do these things, you're telling your kids, I don't want you to hurt yourself. I don't want you to go that way. And the same is true with God. You know, I I was reminded years ago, I told my boys, I, I said, hey, you guys can't play out in the street. And they're like, oh man, dad, why not? Like, it's so much fun. We can pretend that we're motorcycles and driving. Why did I tell my kids not to play out in the street? Because I want to rob them of all the joy and the experience and pleasure of playing out in the street. No, I don't want them to be roadkill. Like, that's the reality, you know? God doesn't want us to hurt ourselves. He knows best how life is to be lived. But when God says, do this, like this command, draw near to him, it's not a negative thing. It's a positive thing. He's saying, I want you to draw near to me. And by saying this, God is saying, hey, I want you to help yourself. You see, this command to draw near to God is an invitation for all of us to enjoy all the goodness of life that God has for us. Drawing near to God means spending time alone daily enjoying the very presence of God. The way this command is written in the text, it describes an action that happens in time. James is describing time that you and I carve out daily in our lives to enjoy the presence of God. But the thing with this command is it assumes that there's a relationship with God. And the only way that you can have this relationship with God is knowing that you cannot draw near to God through your own abilities, through your own good works, through your own deeds, 
We need to realize that we are separated from God because of our sin. And the only way that we can draw near to God is through the shed blood of Jesus. That is how we have access to the throne of God. And so to draw near to God, there must be a relationship with him. Now, you might be sitting here today and you might be thinking, all right, pastor, like I'm here today. World's gone mad. My life's terrible. I'm just trying to give this Jesus thing a try right now. I'm here at church. What's God's invitation for me? Or maybe you're here today because you were invited by a friend and you're here and you're like, I don't know Jesus, but what's God's invitation for me today? God's invitation for you today is that he wants a relationship with you. He wants to have that relationship. Listen, he wanted that relationship with you so much that he sent his only begotten son to this world. That Jesus, uh, that God came in human flesh and he stepped in our place and he willingly became sin for us. He knew no sin, but he took on your sin. He took on my sin. He took on our sin and he willingly went to the cross to die for our sins. And then when he rose from the death, conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave, that, that sufficed. And God now accepted that sacrifice. And now we have access to draw near to God because of that. And so if you don't know Jesus today, here's your invitation. Turn from your sins. Turn to Jesus. And God will welcome you into his family. See, if you don't know Jesus, the point of all of this isn't for you to go home and try to carve out time to spend alone with God. The starting point for you today is put your faith and trust in Jesus. Be born again into the family of God. But for those of us who already have a relationship with God, we are commanded to draw near to God. So how do we draw near to God? Well, one is through his word. Now, I'm not talking that we just kind of, while we're quickly brushing our teeth because we're running late, we go, God, would you speak? And then we just find something. We're like, okay, here we go. And you just read it and you're checking it off and you're on your way. He's not trying to go on you version and go, okay, let me find a devotional real quick that'll speak to me as you're scarfing down some breakfast on your way to school or work. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about just read your Bible, check it off, move on with your life. That's not it at all. I'm talking about have you met with God? And the way that James is describing this in verse 10 is humble yourselves before the Lord. The word before in the Greek is made up of two words. And those two words put together are in and face. And so what James is ultimately getting at is humble yourselves in the face of God. James is describing time carved out daily to come face to face with God. See, as the pastor of this church, I'm not just interested in you knowing about the Bible. Like, I want you to know the facts. I want you to know where James is. Like, I want you to know things about the Bible, but I'm way more interested in you knowing the God of the Bible. So often I think that we come to our Bibles and we treat them like newspapers. What's the facts? What's the figures? There's nothing wrong with that, but we need to come to God's word as if we are on a date. I want you to look into the beauty of who God is. I want you to know the God of this Bible, who he is, experience his love, his grace, his mercy. That's why in verse 10, James says this phrase, humble yourselves. The way it's written in the Greek is best translated, be humbled. It's passive. It means the subject is receiving the action. Because let's be honest here, you can't humble yourself. And here's what James is describing. Face to face with God, so overwhelmed by his greatness, so overwhelmed by who he is, so overwhelmed by his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, his kindness to us that we are brought low. 
that we are in awe of the glory and the greatness of God. And so let me ask you the question. When was the last time that you set aside daily to be wowed, to be in awe of who God is and the greatness of him? See, James is not describing a drive-through way of reading God's word. He's not describing, hey, let me just try to microwave God's word into my life. It's sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's seeking him through his word. It's becoming so in awe of his glory that we are humbled in the presence of God. Now, does that mean that every time we open up God's word and we're like, God, would you speak to me? I'm reading this. I'm drawing close to you. Would you, would you use these words to speak into my life? Does it always feel like lightning bolts and tears flowing down our face and this uber spiritual thing? No, it doesn't. But as you say, God, would you show me your grace? Would you show me who you are? Would you show me your character? God will show you. He will tell you. He'll make himself real to you. But another way that we draw near to God is by walking in community with one another. You get to know God through his word, but also by getting to know the people of God. God has not just called you to himself, but also to one another. And some of the most excellent blessings that you can experience in life are when you get around those who love him. Community is a crucial part of our Christian growth. See, if your involvement here at Awaken is just coming here and listening to me talk or listening to one of our other pastors talk, or you like the way that Kelly sings, you just like the way I talk, like that's all good. That's great. Until life happens. And then you will want more. You'll wish that you had more. You'll want other Christians planted in your life. And here's the good news today. Today, you can go online and you can find our Bible reading plan. We're just starting to read through the book of Romans. And so you can now every week be going through a chapter saying, God, what would you speak to me? God, what would you reveal to me? We're not trying to like go super fast. We're just trying to daily carve out time to come face to face with our creator, with the one who made us, with the one who loves us. And then you can go online and for the first time, we're having groups meeting throughout the summertime. This is something new that we've not done before. And so maybe you're new to Awaken or you missed out on the spring semester and you're like, I got to get some people in my life. You can go online and you can find out how to sign up and be a part of one of those groups. Listen, I never want to lie to you. Carving out time to be alone with God, to come face to face with him, it's going to be hard. There's going to be things that are going to happen. There's things that are going to pop up in your life that that you're not going to expect or whatever. You're going to have to get up early or go to bed a little later. There's going to be things. It's going to be hard to want to come face to face with God. But let me tell you, it's worth it. Again, I don't want to lie to you. Finding community, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be awkward. It's going to require sacrifice that ultimately you're not really going to want to give. And people are going to get on your nerves. But here's the good news you're going to get on their nerves too. And you're all going to have to learn to be long-suffering with one another. Here's the idea. We don't want to live isolated lives. If your involvement here, if you think you're good because you read your Bible occasionally, you come to church on a Sunday, that you're getting the best that God has for you, you're not. The Bible says that we need each other. Iron sharpens iron. So we draw near to God by being in community with one another. We draw near to God by carving out time to come face to face with him. But when we draw near, there's this brokenness that James is talking about. 
There's this brokenness before God as we're drawing near to him. Look at what he says in the middle of verse 8. He says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, I bet you if I walked around and I said, let me, see, let me see these section of verses, none of them are highlighted. These verses are not highlighted. Like we read this on the surface and we go, well, this is really kind of a depressing kind of set of verses. Like what's James saying here? What's he getting at here? What's he talking about? Like, is he saying that you can't ever have laughter? You can't have joy? Like don't ever smile or have a good time? It's not at all what James is saying. These verses speak of the person who's laughing when they should be mourning. They're joyful when there should be a heaviness because of sin. In fact, the word mourn, you can think of it as being devastated. It speaks to mourning over your sin. These verses are talking about the person who's just flippantly laughing when they should be mourning, they should be devastated. And this is the person who's not taking sin seriously in their lives. When we look at our sins and what they did to Jesus, it should devastate you to think that he had to suffer, he had to die for our sins. That is devastating. This is serious business. This is not a joke. This is not a laughing matter. And what James is saying here is quit fooling around. Quit joking about this. He's like, you have to recognize as you draw near to God that there is sin in your life. You need to be sorry for it and you need to turn from it. See, all these words in verses 8 and 9 describe uh, what happens in the heart of a believer. There's this brokenness when we see how sinful we really are. In light of who God is, when we see how sinful we really are, there's a brokenness, there's a grieving over our sins. See, when we get in the presence of God, we grieve over the sinfulness of our flesh, but then that grieving leads to surrender. And the surrender is twofold. It's outward. That's why he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Hands speak of outward actions or behaviors. Sinners speak of all of us who have missed the mark, fallen short of the glory of God. And as we, are, as we pursue the presence of God, we become aware of our actions and our behaviors that don't measure up to Jesus. And here's what we do in those moments. When we realize all of that stuff, we surrender all of those things to God. There's also an inward surrender. He goes on to say, purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, God's not just interested in our outward actions. Again, the theme that we've been talking about and we've seen in James that he constantly points to is that God's also interested in the heart. Have you given him your heart? It reminds me of, the, of what the psalmist said in Psalm 139. He said, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The word search in the very beginning of this psalm in the Hebrew is, is best translated and describes an archaeological digging. And so what the psalmist is saying is, God, in your presence, would you drill deep down into my heart? But he doesn't say, if you see a few things, like point out one or two, or uh, be careful what you point out, or, or he says, point out anything, anything that is offensive in me, and lead me to the way of everlasting life. If you remember how James started out this chapter, and, and how he started out uh, chapter one as well, he starts out that saying that we are the source of our own problems. And so we mourn over this. 
We're sorry about this. We repent over this. We let our laughter be turned to mourning and our joy to gloom. And here's the last question as we close, is what happens when I draw near to God? What happens when I draw near to God? What happens when I carve out time to be alone in the presence of God? I'm confessing my sin. I'm abandoning those sins. I'm embracing God's forgiveness. I'm carving out time, not just to check off God's word in my life, but I'm sitting at the feet of Jesus. I'm coming face to face with him. What happens as I draw near to God? All we have to do to get the answer is go back to the beginning. Verse eight, he says, draw near to God. And here's the answer. And he will draw near to you. Now, aren't you glad it didn't say that he might draw near to you? He'll think about drawing near to you, or it depends how the day's going, that he'll draw near to you, or that he sometimes draws near to you. He will draw near to you. This command, draw near to God, also has a promise with it that he will draw near to you. See, as we set out, as we're carving out time, as we're meeting Jesus face to face, as we want to come closer, we want to abandon the sinfulness, this battle that's going on inside of us. We want to have victory in the moment as we submit to God. Everything that James has just been talking about, as we submit to God and we draw near to him, he has already set out to draw near to meet us. It's interesting in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter three, on Mount Sinai, uh, Moses is meeting with God. God's in the form of the burning bush and God's going to tell Moses, hey, I need you to go lead the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. And before he even tells them any of that stuff, Moses is approaching this burning bush, and God's like, whoa, 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 hey, don't come any closer. And also take off your sandals. But because of Jesus, we now have this invitation to draw near to God. And we have this promise that he will draw near to us. It's only through the shed blood of Jesus that, that now we don't have this barrier to God, that we can draw near to him. In fact, even in Hebrews chapter four, it tells us that we can boldly approach the throne of God. Not timidly, not uh, maybe, but we have this confidence that as we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. Don't think for a minute, ah, God's too far. God's too unreachable. He's not. You're as close to God as you want to be right now. So draw near to God. And the Bible has a promise that he will always draw near to you. When you think about God drawing near to us, it should make us a little excited today. It should make us want to sing a little bit louder today. It should make us want to praise him just a little bit more today. As I was reading this this last week, and I was thinking of everything here that James has said in the last seven verses, I've taken in all of chapter four and I was reminded, man, I've walked this line where I've been friendship with the world and I've, I've become an enemy of God. I'm playing around. I've, I've committed adultery on God because of this sin in my life. And I'm reminded that as I confess that sin, there's this mega grace in my life that God has this grace for me. And as I submit to him, as I come underneath him, as I obey him, as I trust him, as I resist the temptation, resist the devil, he will flee from me. And as I submit to God, I have this promise that then I start to draw near to God and he draws near to me. Got me excited this week to know that the God of the universe would want to draw near to me. Think about people who drew near to God for just a minute. And we talked about Moses. He drew near to God and tells us as he came down from that mountain that he shone, he looked a little different. And the people were like, man, he spent time with God. 
Moses was changed because he was in the presence of God. In the New Testament, there's this woman who's caught in adultery. If you've been to church, you know the story. She's dragged out. She's flung at the feet of Jesus. There's all these people around witnessing everything. And the men who caught her said, hey, Jesus, the law says we should stone her. We should kill her. What do you think? And she's busted in her sin. She's ashamed. She's thrown in front of the mob. The law is on the side of these accusers. And every time I read this passage, I, I think of it like with just snot coming from her nose and there's tears just running down her face. She's covered in dust and shame. But Jesus looks at all of them and he says, hey, he who's without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. Now, when I read these stories, I like to fill in a lot of the blanks. And so I can't help imagine after Jesus said this, they're all ready to go, but they're reminded of their sin. Maybe the sin that they struggled with that morning, that day, that week, and it says that each one just dropped the stone and they all one by one left. And the Bible says that Jesus walks over to her and he picks up her face. And, and I want you to think about that for just a minute. The, 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 God, the son of God, the creator, the sustainer of all things picks up this guilty woman's face. Her guilt is never in question. It's visible for all the world to see. And in the most shameful and despicable moment in her life, Jesus picks up her face and he looks at her and he goes, where are your accusers? They're all gone? Well, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. See, it's in the dust. It's in the dirt. It's in our tears. It's in our heartbrokenness over our sins that we receive forgiveness and the grace of God. And he draws near to us. He exalts us in this. Do you think this woman got up and she just kind of like moped away? She's like, oh man. Oh, I think she leaped up. <laughs> I think she skipped out of there. I think she ran out of there. I think she was overjoyed. She was changed because she was in the presence of Jesus. She was different. Last one, Zacchaeus. Remember in Sunday school, they had that song, Zacchaeus, the wee little man. I don't know if you remember that. I don't know the song. I didn't sing the song. I don't believe in the song. You know, I don't know. It's a mockery to all the short people out there, right? It's like, but Zacchaeus, he was, a, he was a short guy. He was the chief tax collector. And tax collectors at this time were known as sinners. And Jesus is passing through the city of Jericho. And Zacchaeus, he's like, man, I'm too short, but I got to see Jesus. I got to get a glimpse of him. And all these tall people are, sitting in, are standing in front of him. And he's like, I can't see, I can't see. But he sees this tree. And he climbs the tree to the top because he just wants to get a glimpse of Jesus walking by. And as Jesus walks by, Jesus sees Zacchaeus up in the tree. And he says, hey, Zacchaeus, come down from there because I'm going to go hang out at your house tonight. Zacchaeus was so overjoyed that he immediately came down from the tree and welcomed Jesus. Now, the people, they were shocked. They began to whisper, they murmured, they complained, they were, because Zacchaeus was corrupt. He had corrupt practices. They saw it as inappropriate for Jesus to hang out with a tax collector, a sinner like this. But Zacchaeus stood before the crowd and he repented of his sins. And he said, listen, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. And if I've cheated any one of you, I'm going to give you four times the amount that's owed to you. And Jesus forgave Zacchaeus. And he said, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Here's the point in me sharing all these stories with you. As we draw near to God, God draws near to us. There's so many other stories that we could talk about. So many I had to cut out. 
But as we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. He did it then, and he'll do it now. You're the one keeping you far from God. Don't think that he's unreachable. Don't think that he's not close. He is close. Carve out time. Again, does it always feel like lightning bolts and, oh man, Lord, you spoke. No, it doesn't always feel like crying and lightning bolts in this powerful moment. But as you open up God's word and you're like, God, would you speak to me? Would you show me who you are? Would you reveal yourself to me? You better believe that he will. He will draw near to you. And so the challenge for us this week Confess your sins. Abandon those things. That's not who I am. I'm a child of God now. Embrace God's forgiveness. Carve out time to be with him. Draw near to him and see how God moves to you. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.